Welcome back to That Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Sports Booth. My name is Luke, that is Husey, my co-host. How are you, Husey? G'day, g'day. Uh, very, very well, thanks. It's a, a good week for Australian rugby, I think, safe to say. Uh, better week for me as a Dragons fan, because we finally sacked Anthony Griffin <laughs> and finally named a side that makes sense. Zach Lomax put back onto his regular center position, not forced to swap sides. Uh, Moses and by out of the team, Jacob Little. Look, I know I'm diverging onto rugby league straight away, but it's, it's a bloody good week. The Waratahs had a great win, a redemption win over the Rebels, in which key players showed up big time. Um, we'll, we'll get into more detail about that. Uh, but then I guess probably the upset of the season that has been full of, has had, had some notable upsets. Um, and I think this one though does take the cake. Yeah. Look, you're speaking highly of it from an Australian rugby perspective, but, and, and I'll let you talk about the dragons on this podcast purely because we do have a part where we will discuss your dragons, which is interesting enough. Uh, mm-hmm. again, as us as being a rugby union podcast, but yep. yes, the Reds beat the Chris, uh, the Chiefs in Hamilton. Um, we, we've said multiple times that the Reds are allergic to beating mm-hmm. New Zealand Super Rugby teams, and they got rid of that allergy. I don't know what they've been, what they did to get rid of it, but they got rid of that allergy. Um, yeah, shocked the Chiefs. You know, undefeated run ended at home um, by the Reds team. We always knew this Reds team had spirit. That was never in mm-hmm. doubt. With Brad Fawn as your coach, um, but I think I, looking at it now, three rounds out, it, it's hard to see them. Even with their tough schedule ahead, the Reds, it's it's hard to see them missing out. Um, it would ta- I think it would take some serious results for them to just about miss out after that result. Um, because if we, we we keep sitting here saying they're going to fall out of the top eight, they're, yep. they're not going to make it. But the the further and further we, we get down, and the closer and closer we get to finals time, and they're still in there. Yeah, look, that, this was the big one uh, for, for them because I I had said, and this is my prediction to be proved wrong, and I'm happy to be proved wrong in this prediction, that the Reds would beat the Force and then they would lose the rest of their game. And that started out well because they beat the Force and they lost to the Boratars. And you would think playing the Chiefs in New Zealand, they would lose. You know, not only is it it's a New Zealand team, but it's on New Zealand soil. Yeah. However, maybe there's a last little sprinkling of Brad Thorne magic to be had before he fades away into the mists. <laughs> um where yeah they they bearded the dragon in the den so to speak uh <coughs> you know and uh what i really liked was stand up performances from a couple of potential wallabies and Tate McDermott and uh, James O'Connor uh so that that's all positive signs for um Australian rugby yeah and i and again like we we've talked about this for so long i think a competitive competition is more important yeah than a uh, team running away with it. And to be fair, the Chiefs had done something that not many, I don't think any team had done, is, is go for is that long unbeaten in a Super Rugby season. And Pretty incredible. It was impressive. And I don't think they'll be too worried with this loss. Like, it's mm. one of those ones you'd rather have this loss now. Go, yeah. where did we go wrong? And, and not be in the finals. <laughs> so, so I was actually thinking about this earlier, and I want to get your opinion on this, because I have an opinion on this as well. All right. Do you think there is now more or less pressure on the Chiefs? Less pressure. I think, yeah, definitely. I think if they'd gone into the finals undefeated, that there would have been like, can they go all the way? You know, it's a very much like, 
they haven't been beaten if they lose now this. I think that the big thing for me, they stay the favourites because they beat the Crusaders twice. And although they lost to the Reds, now I think it takes quite a lot of pressure off them. And again, it's, a, it's one of those games where it wasn't, they didn't lose to a team that's pushing the top five. Like if they'd lost to a Brumbies or if they'd lost to a Blues or even a Hurricanes, you sit there and go, are they really that good? They were shocked by a Reds team who turned up. And I think it's a message from this Reds team to show that they can do it on their day against anyone. So going into finals, if they can make the finals, which now now more looking more likely, uh, yeah, um, I think it's less pressure on them and even less pressure on the Reds now like for, for, yeah. for finals time. De- like definitely, definitely less pressure on the Reds. For me, though, I sort of sitting there putting my mind to it. I feel like there's a little bit more pressure because there's a very, very good chance this Chiefs team will meet the Reds in the first round of the finals if the Reds make it in. Right, because the yep. the Reds are sitting at seventh, they could very easily end up at eighth. Yep. Where they've got the the Blues coming up <clears throat> this week. Uh, thereafter, uh, they play the Highlanders, which they could win, but could equally lose. And then they play Fiji in Fiji, which we know you don't beat Fiji in Fiji unless, you uh, unless you've a got a blue top. jersey, <laughs> and they don't have a blue jersey. They're called the Reds. They're the antithesis of blue. Exactly. Right. So there's a, a very good chance they could end up at eighth. For me, for the Chiefs, I feel like there's a little bit more pressure because now you've got a little bit of doubt in the back of your mind of we fucked up against this Reds team. We, we, I think it's more pressure because it isn't one of those top four teams. I think if you lose to a top four team, you think, okay, there are other great competitors. We've had great games against them. Sort of no shame in losing one of these ones. These are those games that we've out-efforted them before, but they just got the better rubber the green this time with a team like the reds where they're pushing the bottom part of the eight you think something had to there has there has to be a serious hole or serious flaw somewhere within us that these this team that hasn't had a particularly good season was able to exploit and can other teams figure out what it was off the back of that like and if we face this reds team again they had our number last time could that can they do it again i feel like it brings in that little bit of doubt because of who the Reds are this season, right? Yep. It's not as if it's like another hard-fought game against the Crusaders or even the Brumbies or the Canes or the Blues, right? Uh, it is, it's just like we got beaten by, you know, a team that is hoping to make the top eight this year. Yeah, so, I, and I think that that doubt could could start to play on them. And I, I, tell, I see what you're saying, and, and especially the loss at home is an interesting mm. one. Like, if this was in Queensland, it's again, like like we, like we anyone can go to Fiji and lose, you know, and the Crusaders, Hurricanes both done it. So I sit there and go, exactly. if it had been at home, it had been away, not such a big yeah. deal. I also I would be think, blessed out, yeah. I also think the Reds have given teams a blueprint. Like, this is how you actually beat. So exactly, I see what you're yeah. saying, but I think that takes the pressure off the Chiefs because now teams are saying, look, we saw what they've done. I think the Chiefs will take a lot more out of this than any other team will take out of what the Reds just did. Like, on, that's mm. my honest belief. Like, I think the Chiefs will sit there and go, "We we lost. Like, there was no doubt we lost. Why did we lose? And how do we make sure this doesn't happen again?" So that's I, I see what you're saying. I yeah. definitely see. Like, it is. Hard. I think for the next couple of rounds, the pressure ramps up. Like, they lose yeah. another game. All of a sudden, it's really like, "Oh, was this? Was it a real?" 10 win, win, win streak, did they actually do it? Or was it a uh, fluke that they were going through, yeah. bet the Crusaders twice? So, yeah, I think the pressure rises, but I think it come finals time, and, it, and you make a good point as well, 
if they play a team like the Reds, I think if they get past that first week of finals, the pressure's fully off, like it's not an undefeated yeah. season. But if they play the Reds again, yeah, I think I, I can see what you're saying. My Canes bounced back, um, so yeah. that was good to see. Obviously, going to Fiji, it's tough, we big, know. Yeah, big, big bounce back. Especially against the minor Pacifica side who showed up against the Blues a week beforehand. Yeah. So we were kind of expecting, and they went into half time. It's it's hard for minor Pacifica, and I'll touch base again on them later, to, to stay in those physical clashes and have two back-to-back where you're like, you know, the Blues mm-hmm. and the Hurricanes, it's tough. Like, that's not an easy schedule. They're in the game at halftime, and then, yeah, 40-odd points in the second half. You just can't give that many points up. You won't beat any team in Super Rugby by giving up that many points in the second half. I will say, like, no matter what scoreline it is, it's always entertaining to watch a Moana Pacific game. Oh, totally. Definitely. Like, yeah. they, 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 their spirit of throwing the ball around, playing that Pacifica yeah. style, is definitely not lost on them. We can definitely say yeah. that. Um the Saders hold out the Blues 15-3 to three in what you can call as a defensive tussle. A big, obviously, moment there was Dalton yeah. Popoletti's red card or yellow card upgraded to a red and three weeks out. Um, it's it's the right call. Like Don't get me wrong, it's the right call. And uh, from that, the game, I guess, mellowed out a bit after that. Yeah. It was very much a Crusaders performance where you've done something wrong, you've fucked up, we'll take control of that. Yeah, I did. I did, have to say the the defensive effort from the Blues was was incredible up until the the card basically, and I think even yeah. after the card you could say as well. Uh, yeah, I saw from the highlights just this phase after phase after phase after phase of the Crusaders attacking, and then eventually the Blues turned it over. So I think yeah, it, it is hard because the Crusaders definitely play the possession game where they hold on to the ball. So they just don't give you any opportunities to attack against them and you have to capitalise on those. And, yeah, Crusaders just looked very, very good uh, getting back into form, I think you could kind of say, which is odd to say about a team that is 8-3, and three, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but to say that they've been dipped in form, that's just the Crusaders. Like, that's just the standard we've come to expect from them. And it was really interesting. I read a quote the other day about Richie Mwanga. And we'll actually, I may make this a topic for next podcast just to get the the mind working. But Tubman said he was the greatest Super Rugby player ever. So Ooh. not not like a hey, like he was the best player, but just his record, the way the Crusaders had gone. Rugby, yeah. I I was I was like, man, we'll put that to the test. We'll, we'll get a list of our mm-hmm. top fives from next week because uh, yeah, I'd be interested. Like. It makes sense that, like, the record he's been on, the, the run the Crusaders have been on, he, he, he would have won, what, three, four So this is, this is the greatest rugby, greatest super rugby player. Yeah, so you're not taking... See, look, I would, have said, I would have said Jake Gordon, but he's just a rugby player. You know, he's just <laughs> a rugby player, so... He's a bloody good one at that. Yeah, as he ran, scooted away for 60 metres again, and you're like, that's, yep. that's a rugby player there. He is, he is a rugby <laughs> player. No, There's one thing you could say about him, and no one could deny it. It's that he is a rugby player. <laughs> that he is. Um, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that next time. The force blow past the Duda in a second-half performance. This will yeah. be the question that always gets asked for the Duda is, as much as you can win at home, can you win away, and can you consistently yeah. do it away against teams who I think are lesser than what, the uh, do it are, but if they can't do that, they're gonna, they're not gonna struggle. I don't think in the comp, but they're gonna struggle to win the comp. Yeah. Without it. Yeah, and it's, it's even gonna make it hard for them to 
being the top eight because they're out now. They're behind the force. The force leapfrogged them because of this uh, effort. Um, and it's going to be a hard slog for Fiji to, to get back. They're lucky that their last two games. So this week coming up against the Waratahs is going to be a hard one for them. And I think the Waratahs should be favorites for that. Yeah. After that, though, they do play Moana Pacifica uh, a, a, as a home game. And then they play the Reds in Fiji, right? So they should they'd be hoping to win two of their last three. Um, whereas the Force, who have they got? They've got the Brumbies. That is at home, but still it's the Brumbies. They've got the Rebels, which is a big one. And then they've got the Chiefs, where we said that may or may not be a really tough game, depending on if the Chiefs arrested people or not. Yep. So I think it's really up in the air. And you can't discount the Rebels as well, still from uh, leapfrogging the Dura as well. Like that. And the Highlanders are hanging around as well. I mean, we saw that they were able to hang in the game against the Brumbies, the Brumbies. as well. Like, yep. the yeah. Look, I think you could, you could almost pretty safely pencil in the the Waratahs uh, for for a spot. I think that that's highly likely to happen. Uh, they should win two of their last three. It's going to be a challenge against the Crusaders, but um, against the Dura and then Moana Pacifica, they should take those. Totally. The Reds, who have they got? I know I went through this before, but I'm going through it again. They've got the Blues, which will be tough. They've got the Highlanders in and Dunedin, Dunedin, which will be tough as well. And then Fiji in Fiji. So there's, I, I don't think we could safely say the Reds are going to be in there. So the there's what uh, one, two, three, four. There's five teams essentially vying for two spots. Yeah, and that is that's that's great. That's what we love to see. We don't know what these finals are going to look like. That's what a competitive competition looks like. Yes, I and again, I'm 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 an anti top eight finals mm. when you've got twelve teams, which to me should be six. Um, and it would still be just as interesting going into it. Mm-hmm. Like there's still a lot of opportunity for six, those top six teams. So. To me, yeah, it makes sense for it to be six. Like someone actually mentioned it there earlier on in the season, if it was a top four, looking at the top four, it would be nutty. But not, I, I like having six because I think it opens up the, that opportunity because we have a clear yeah. top five. But one of those top five teams would miss the semifinals. And if it was top four, when he was speaking about it, it would be the Crusaders who had lost in Fiji, had just lost to the Chiefs yeah. to start the season. Like the Crusaders would be worried about not making the top four, which is crazy to think. But again, when Super Twelve originated, when it was back to its heyday, it was the top four. That was it. Like mm. you, yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter if you fucking are battling as one of those teams. It's the top four. That's the class above the own. So I, I, I understand the top eight, and because we get entertainment like this, and we have meaningful games against the lower sides. But I still top six to me makes more sense. However, yeah. your tiles got a good win, much needed win over the Carter Gordon led Rebels, who Carter is just on fire at the moment. Like, he 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 was carrying that team. He was doing so much for them. Um, he looks he looks very very good, he, yeah. and he should very be. I mean, I think Quaid is looking very good over in Japan at the moment, which is also a positive. It's, it's it'd be great for Eddie Jones to have a selection headache where it's not shit. Who can I? put in at 10 it's like shit which one of these tens do i pick you know two very different scenarios you know totally. it's much easier to try and figure out which um which square piece to put in the square hole than trying to figure out what one of your other shapes can fit into the square hole kind yeah. of thing so yeah a, a good problem to have even ben donaldson looked probably had his best game so and in, in our live commentary uh live stream which you could check out the recording up on youtube uh i called for ben donald's i said he's, he he needs to still step up a, a bit more like he's sort of 
um, how do I phrase it? Like, I, I, I think I said last week that Noah Lolasio was a sort of, and, and even Carter Gordon is, but I think Carter Gordon blends it well. They're very good at running the ball and attacking, taking on the line themselves. Um, and I think I said in, I wanted to see Noah be a bit more of a facilitator. I think it's very much the reverse of Ben Donaldson. He's a very good facilitator, but he wasn't attacking the line enough. I saw a lot of that against the Rebels. I mean, obviously set up a great try with Izzy Parisi uh, doing that. And that's what you need at E10. I mean, you look at what Moanga and Barrett do in McKenzie for New Zealand. Yep. And and it's their, it's they combine those things so wonderfully. Uh, you look at uh, overseas tens as well, like Marcus Smith and uh, I think so in the Northern Hemisphere, that's what they do as well. So yeah. uh, it was good to see that out of Donaldson and good to see him, you know, again, making and making Eddie Jones' life difficult with having so many talented players to pick from. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and talking about one more in the last game of the season, uh, round, it was the Brumbies getting over the land, Highlanders in a tight affair. Mm. It's, it's a, one of those games the Brumbies just have to keep ticking off. The yeah. Highlanders will stay in a fight. The Highlanders, are, we, we know that they're a very similar team to the Reds currently in the current situation as well. I feel mm. like there's a lot of similarities between those two teams. Young up and coming, not quite hitting the strides that they would want to hit, but what many expected them to hit this year. And they will hang around in games, and if you don't put them away, you'll end up like the Chiefs. So the Brumbies did the job. Um, I am... I am getting slightly more nervous, I think, with the Brumbies' defence. The Brumbies, for me, are well-known mm. with being very structured and winning games with defence, but to concede the amount of points, I know they had another high-scoring game against Moana Pacifica recently as well, where it was like, point, score, 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 try, 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 going back and forth. So they they can attack. There's no doubt they've got some attack. Mm. It's just going to be interesting where it comes. And I, I'm excited for that Chiefs-Brumbies game, I think, next week. Uh, not this week, but the week after. Uh, the URC as well, we had the semi-finals now. There's going to be a little bit of, um, I don't want to say controversy because it's not that much, very controversial, but the Leicester team, uh, sorry, the Leinster team who uh, hosted Munster, obviously two Irish teams playing each other. Now, however, saying that Leinster is made up of a lot more Irish starting players for the actual Irish team. Now, I know a lot of them weren't playing in this game because they've got a European Champions Cup game coming up. So it wasn't like, I know Gary Ringrose wasn't playing. I think Josh van der Flyer came off the bench. So it wasn't like this was their all-time first team. It wasn't a, a B team either. Like they were still had players there that were capable of winning the game. But seeing that team lose and knowing the Irish talent they have on it made me feel a little good because the Irish have become too good and I have to hate the Irish now. Although they were beaten by an Irish team, I get it. It mm. was more now that the Springboks won their semi-final against Connacht. And so now, I didn't think I'd ever be like a South Africa Super Rugby supporter, but I am now because a South African team in the URC, I would prefer to see them win to show everyone how great the Southern Hemisphere rugby is versus the Northern Hemisphere. So I'll be sitting there uh, supporting the Stormers, which I don't think I would have ever said previously yeah. uh, to get a win over Munster in that final. Very nice, yeah. I mean, can't can't argue with your logic there. Can't argue with your logic there. Excellent. And I always feel like, and and let me know if you think I'm wrong, but the two hated teams, I especially South African teams, I always hated seeing were the Sharks and the Bulls. Yeah. I didn't mind the Stormers. Like you know, you had the Victor Matfield Bulls, um, the Smith Sharks, and it just both of those teams felt. Angry, like I always had anger towards them. The Stormers, I've always had like a little, a little bit of a 
a slight appeal to it. I don't know why, but it is what it is, I guess. I, I think the, the it was that Bulls versus Sharks final that probably whenever there's a final between two South African teams, it was yeah, a, it's you just you just lose all interest, really. Yeah, <laughs> mate, I'm gonna let you take over this next round. Purely, we are talking about Checker, obviously former Wallabies coach, rumored current Lost Pumas coach in Argentina, rumored to be asked to put well, rumored that he's put his name in the hat for your mighty St. George or Jaggins yeah. coaching role. Well, from what I've read, Argentina rugby reached out to the dragons to, uh, to, to see if Checker would be interested in taking the dragons job. Um, or to see if the dragons would be interested in Checker taking the dragons job. The dragons have reportedly knocked that back and said that they're not really interested. It sounds very much like uh, Jason Riles is going to be the next coach for the the Dragons because you know former Dragons player uh, the Roosters have uh, working on being able to release him early from his contract. All these things it all really points as if the Dragons have had this sort of in their back pocket, and it almost sounds like they've had Riles on the side and said, "Hey, mate, look, if we get rid of Griffin, you're the next person in there. Um, it's probably going to take a miracle for him to hold on, but we need to." let things play out for media, public relations stuff. Not that they've done a particularly good job with that anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll bring you on board. Uh, look, so you I would have, I would have liked Checker to be there for, um, for the dragons. Cause I think he did a very good job with the Lebanese, uh, uh, rugby league team at the world cup this year. So it would have been great to see check, uh, at Georgia would be combining even further my two loves of the Waratahs <laughs> and the and the St. George of the Waratah Dragons. However, it looks as if it's not to be unless there's some sort of, you know, Last right before the clock strikes mind. midnight reversal kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it would be, it, it's another thing showing just how close the two codes are and why we should be embracing in brotherly love rather than a dick swinging competition. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I want to touch quickly again on Minor Pacifica. I know I touch on this pretty much every podcast now, but to me, we've seen it. I've made my statement. It's failing. Again, we can give it more time and it may come right. I don't see that fan base coming right. I like the idea of them being based permanently out of Samoa or Tonga or both. I know there was a lot of comments on the the last um, TikTok that I put out with this to say, you know they should be ba- there should be teams based out of Samoa and Tonga. I don't know if the competition can hold our end of the bargain up with that. Um, I know Fiji's obviously a small population, but they're rugby mad. Um, would Samoa and Tonga garner that same interest? I'm unsure, but I think there's got to be at least a look to put Moana Pacifica in those places. I know they played a game there, but to be based out of there, yeah, it makes just so much more sense. I like the idea of two teams, Samoa and Tonga, and building from the player base that you, they have. Like, you look at that Moana Pacific team, and I've said this, the identity's just gone. Like, who are they? These players play the ITM Cup. They, well, you know, re- some of them represent New Zealand's XVs. Like, this isn't, uh, it's a New Zealand Pacific team yeah. rather than the Pacific's team. And I, I understand why New Zealand rugby went down this route because they knew they could support this to start off with. I just see it unfortunately failing, which is, like I say, it's unfortunate because everyone wants it to succeed. It's just the base, the identity, and everything is not there. 
Yeah, I think Australia is lucky in that um, I guess the, the Fijian community here is so large and, and also holds itself so distinct. Um, it does feel like the Moana Pacifica team is, I mean, you said it, like they a lot of them represent New Zealand. Next to it. it feels like the very much the leavings from the other New Zealand super rugby team, super rugby teams, um, and even some cases, uh, Australian super rugby teams. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I, it can't be that huge of an expense to to base them in Samoa and Tonga, even if no one showed up, right? Even if no one showed up, I can't imagine it'd be that huge of an expense to have them play their games in one of those places. Uh, and yeah, my, I, I, I don't know. My big thing is, if Super Rugby, or New Zealand Rugby, Australian Rugby, Super Rugby agreed on this and got this done, mm. World Rugby would support it. Like... Yeah. We have to be looking at Fiji and Dura and being like, this is great for the game of Fiji. Like, you've got these Fijian superstars over not, in Europe. And, and I'll say as well, not only the Fijian Dura, but the Fijiana Dura as well, who just won the Super Rugby Women's Competition. Like, exactly. Those are they're both successful teams, like relatively successful teams. Like the Fijian Dura are competitive in Super Rugby, right? Uh, and, yeah, like, you, you, there is the distinct identity of Fiji uh, about it. Yes, and, and yeah, I, I agree. And I think World Rugby, you could definitely say, hey, look, chuck some money, we'll build up a better stadium, we'll improve the facilities when we get over there. Like, this gives an opportunity for us to give back to, if we want rugby to be especially head, uh, oh, the main sport in those Pacific nations, this is the way we do it. And we say, look, we'll base yeah. stuff out of there. Like, it just it blows my mind. As much as, you know, the Western Force debacle when we got rid of them, I think, Stopped all momentum for a game that you know an, an area that's crying out for a team from that area yeah. to support. It was I just don't want to lose Tonga and Samoa because we're so busy focused on New Zealand rugby still. And look, yeah, the Western Force we're very lucky that that's been brought back, particularly because rugby league sniffing around there as well. We know how heavily rugby league are already investing in the Pacific Nations, mm-hmm. right? We've seen it in this last rugby league World Cup where how many players are flocking to the banner. Uh, banners of you know Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, and things like that. Rugby Union needs to regain some power in those areas, and you know having the players exist and live in the community as well it, it is it's so important for you know spreading awareness amongst the local fans of, of who they are and things like that. Like you know, I follow a lot of Waratahs players on socials and things like that, and just you know seeing them out and about at you know, places that I've been to lunch or I've grabbed a coffee and things like that. It's just a huge thing that builds connection between the fans and the players, right? To to know that you have some shared experiences. So to, you know, know that the your team is going to be based out of, say, Tonga, for example. Um, and, you know, the players are on socials or you see them at public events and things like that. That's going to, you know, build up that relationship that is uh, so key to building a huge fan base and, yeah, look, I, even if you did, say, uh, half of their home games on one of the islands, I think that would be an improvement than just one. You know, and F- Fiji has shown up. They've shown that they can, that it can be successful, right? You just have to build it the right way. And I think this is probably just, you know, like one of the, the rare cases where Super Rugby uh, Australia has, has, has handled something better than, you know, Super Rugby New Zealand has. It, it's, totally. it's, it's not normally that way around, but it's just it's just a case. And I think it's it's just a, a bit of it is luck. A bit of it is 
which of the teams that they've taken on and uh but i think some of it is administration as well totally and i think it's new zealand rugby thinking that they can control that and it's not like they can't control it but that that control is ruining the product that they're mm. delivering they're, they're like micromanaging the super rugby pacific team like it's just not going to mm. work so last time i'll try and keep my mouth shut unless we get some more developments out of moana pacifica i just feel yeah. like i we have to keep discussing it because it's just clear that clear to this day that it's just not working and and I've seen people say they need a coaching change of Aaron Major there, you know, they're getting pumped most weeks other than the, the Blues game. But I don't think a coach changes that much in this situation. It's not going to make a massive change. Even, like, yeah, mm. they start winning, it'll help. It'll definitely help. But I don't see enough people already supporting it and everything that, it, you know, just to me something's wrong. But I, yeah. I digress. I'll move on to... My rule change idea for this week. Now, this is an interesting one. I want to see if you get around it. Last week, I put out the rule change that was no hands in the ruck. This time, what I'm trying to do is strip back the law to make the rule easier. So, what I am thinking for this week is we have this line in the 22 that for some reason we've decided if you have the ball inside that line, you can kick the ball out on the full. Why the fuck do we do that? So what I'm saying now is no ball can go out on the full unless you're kicking from like a penalty, obviously. Other than that, the ball cannot be kicked out on the full or it's a line out from where you kick it. So what I'm trying to Mm. achieve here is ball and play because we're not kicking the ball out for a line out. Ball and play and across the whole field. So again, even when you're in your own 22, when you're in your goal line, you can't kick it out. It's going to allow counter-attacking opportunities and it's going to speed the game up. There's going to be more counter-attacks, attacking rugby, speed up game and a better product. And all you have to now tell anyone is, no, you can't kick the ball out on the full. That's the rule. Like Now at the moment I'm trying to go, you can't kick the ball out of the full if you're one foot step in front of the 22. But if you're behind the 22, yes, you can. Thoughts, comments, concerns from the big man as a prop. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm just thinking of as a as a, as a as a forward. Like, I, I feel like obviously this probably concerns backs a bit more because they're the ones that are doing the kicking. Except when the game's on the line and you need to win, then you call in <laughs> the playmaker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it definitely would have a great impact on how much everyone's running. You know, like running to and from plays and kicks and things like that like you know prop bouncing between different lines at least when it goes out and it goes to a line out you're like thank fucking christ i can you know don't have to sprint over there i can i can jog never walk all right you, <laughs> never walk uh yeah so you know at least you got a little bit of a break there you can catch a bit of your breath uh yeah i mean it's just it's one of those ones where it's just like, this is just so different to what it is currently that it's hard to even imagine. Hard to get your what, head around it. Totally. It's hard to get your head around what impact it would have, you know? Totally. It's, and- one of the, it's one of those ones where it's just like, I don't know what this is going to do. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. I feel like it's something you need to see <laughs> live at like a schoolboy or like a, a lower grade level just to see like, okay, we're going to trial this. Let's see what happens, right? Or, you know, you do it for some preseason games or something. Uh, and when I first thought of this, I did, in my head, I was like, 
is this even a good idea? Like, is this a good idea? Like, is this going to help the game of rugby? Like, I sat there and I go, I couldn't imagine anything worse of being, you know, scrum five metres out of your own goal line and not being able to kick the ball out on the full. But then I thought, no, you play, you have to now play it tactically. Like, it's just, that's the way the rules will work. I agree, it has to be checked out. But mm. I know our current chair of the uh, World Rugby has said in our 200th year that innovation started this game. You know, 200 years ago, William Webb Ellis picked up a ball and decided yep. rugby was to be played. So we're going to be talking about innovation really again after this. But this is, to me, is an opportunity to cut out some of those rules, mm. not take a great effect of the game, and lose some of the, that, that integrity of the game. I still can't believe that we used to be able to pass back into the 22 to kick it out in the fall. That still boggles my mind that there used yeah. to be a rule. But to get rid of all of that and go, hey, now we're playing attacking footy, get on board. I, again, it has to be tested out of my my belief, and I'd love to see it in action. I would just be very interested what would happen. I think you're just going to see more ball and play. Like, I really do. Mm. Was it the 200, was it 250 years or 200 years? 200 years. 200 years, yeah. 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 Um, I was just checking my, <laughs> making sure I have my rugby history. The history down, bud. You're the history was here. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It was, it was just making sure it was 200 years. Because I thought you said 250. I was like, Sorry, I no, just wanted to check. Years. 200 years. Yeah. Um, talking about innovation and and this, the under-20s, and again, a great testing ground, the Under-20 World Cup, they're using a smart ball um, with the help of Gilbert. So this isn't a ball that will start talking back to you um, and yep. you're saying, please, please... Find touch when I kick you out. Yeah, it I'll fucking go out. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't understand that. <laughs> it is going to tell the referees and give real-time information if a ball has been thrown forward, if it has made where, if it has where it has made touch in the location it's made touch, um, if it's been touched in flight by another player, a charge down, mm. stuff like that. If the ball is over the try line and then line out throws, if it's straight. So a lot less for referees to worry about, like having to make the decision. Um, and it's very similar to what you've got in football now where if a football crosses the goal line for, for soccer, football, um, it'll pop up on the ref's uh, watch yeah. to say, yes, it's a goal. So I think they're looking to do something very similar to that. I love the idea of it. Yep. Anything to make the refs, take some of the stuff off the refs and the 100%. decision's there. So I just thought, you know, let's touch base on that, see how the this goes. The less the referee so, can be involved, the better. Now, that's not saying referee should... I don't see... a way that referee can ever be fully removed because there's always going to be something that requires a human decision totally. right uh but yeah the, the the less stuff that they have to adjudicate on the better so yeah i mean that's totally. that's 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 why we have you know the booth for reviewing tries and things like that right that's taking some of that out of his hands yeah. so you can't say that that's not a thing that has that that couldn't work yeah I, and i agree if it, if it it's great tested under 20s and if it works, and it will, I think we'll just start seeing more and more of this where mm. it's going to be helping refs rather than hurting them. They The decision gets taken off them. Bang, yep, it was, it was a full pass. I'll be interested to see how well it can work and is it going to be times where it's incorrect and they've got to make a decision and, and how it all works. But mm. we will keep everyone updated on that. But great, again, a great great innovation, I think, for, for World Rugby. Um, the Rugby Championship, I just wanted to touch base on quickly because I saw an article and they said it should changed to six teams with the addition of Japan and Fiji. And I sat there, and I know we've discussed this before, and I actually, I've come right around to this and said, yeah, fuck it, it should. The 
what the Fiji and Dura are doing, what Japan and New Zealand have just come to an agreement to be playing a lot more games. Commercially, Japan, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So get them involved into this and make it our own Six Nations. And again, I think you have an opportunity to put that in the calendar at the same time as the Six Nations in the southern Hemis- uh, Northern Hemisphere. So now you have two Six Nations, one in the Northern, one in the Southern, where you're watching fantastic footy, is my opinion. And you know what? That also opens up the opportunity for if you put that at the same time as the Six Nations at the start of the year, you then have an opportunity for a Northern Six Nations versus Southern Six Nations champion game, which you can add another cup to that. You'll get huge cups, but you start some more history and legacy totally. and That's traditions. Like, you know, can you imagine like if, you know, Ireland, because they won the Six Nations this year, first played like, uh, you know, Australia, All Blacks, South Africa, whoever wins the rugby championship, imagine if they faced off in a game to determine, you know, the, the, the you know the northern hemisphere versus southern hemisphere you know so call some cup you know like the James the Captain Cook Cup I mean yeah. that's probably not politically acceptable yeah. to say to, <laughs> to call it but you know uh, yeah yeah so uh, and again I'm gonna paint a picture I love the idea you've, you've given it so much imagine this so the Six Nations happen at the same time Ireland go on to win the northern hemisphere say South Africa does the incredible and somehow wins the southern hemisphere they play that <laughs> game. Two weeks later, what's kicking off? The URC. Like, yeah. You can't tell me that's not great for rugby that you've got all the South African versus Ireland have just won their cops and now they're about to be in a club competition to give a lot. Yeah. Just to me, it, make, it made a lot more sense. I was like, Fiji, has, the Dura have shown it will help Fiji and rugby the more yeah. they're involved and they deserve to be involved with the crowds they've delivered. Um, imagine, just imagine a Fijian international game at, at home. You see Japan coming in. They've got... There's definitely good chances for them to, to win those games. Yeah. So yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Husey, the stats man, what have you got for us today? Yeah, so I saw something the other day on the TV, and I sent it to you on Facebook so that I wouldn't um, lose these numbers here. Uh, so this was actually on Monday. So that's Monday the 15th of May, right? So there are people listening in posterity. There was a, a news story about the women's FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium in the UK, right? At least I believe it was the women's FA Cup final. It was a it was women's f- yeah. final football FA match, Cup. FA Cup final, yeah. Chelsea versus Man United, right? Now, I want to stress again, this was a women's match. The crowd at the game was 77,000. 77,000. That's more than any Super Rugby men's game is getting. Right, that's more than what a lot of men's football games. Or in fact, I think it is more than whatever men's football games get here. It's it's it would be one of the biggest crowds in Australia, right? To get seventy seven thousand, totally. right? Now, even compared to a lot of the men's games over there, like seventy seven thousand is a huge number in a crowd. That is a huge, huge crowd number, right? That I, I think. Uh, Accor Stadium has a capacity of 85,000 or something. Yeah, something like that, 88 or something like that. Yeah, something, yeah. You know, so imagine essentially full, 80,500, but you can, I think that's the sitting capacity. I think you could add extra stands on or something, right? And then what about Allianz Stadium? Allianz Stadium, 45,000, 45,500, a lot smaller, right? So it's it's a packed out Allianz plus another half on top of that, right? That's insane. That is immense numbers. 
So I'm just going to take this opportunity now, and I'm going to look down the camera here. To all of you that say the women's game will never be as big as the men's game, you know what I say to that? I say two things. One, it very well could be. It's already getting there. And two, who the fuck cares if it's never going to be as big as the men's game as long as it's big and brings in money, which this is. It's 77000 right? So it's worth investing in it now and spending more now to get it to that level faster. Like, I hear all the arguments of, like, oh, well, the men's game played for so long on lower money and they built themselves up. Yeah, you know how long that fucking took? Hundreds of years. Like we just said, rugby had its 200th anniversary, right? It took 200 years. You want the women's game to take 200 years to get up to that level? That's it. That's stupid. And that's that's even if you make – that's even based on the ridiculous assumption that the women haven't been playing before this time already. Of course they have been. There's been women's tournaments for years. They've never had the same level of support, though. So it is, it's about accelerating that process and getting the, the money back quicker. Like we've seen that sports will generate revenue, right? So you could see that the investment model works. If you look at it for a purely financial side, you see that the product works, right? So you know, you have a formula, you've got the recipe, right? If you look at the food aspect now, you've got the recipe, you know, this dish works, right? You know that customers want to eat this dish, right? So now why don't you, there's another, you can make Say you can make another one of this dish with a slight change in the ingredients, but overall it's the same dish. It's essentially the this. Let's say it's like the vegan option or the gluten-free option of the same <laughs> dish or something like that, or it's like the um, you know lower carb base or something like that, or it's you know any kind of variation, or instead of like a raspberry pie, it's a blueberry pie or something like that. It's essentially the same dish, and you think, okay, I could make this. I could you know I might need to. Uh, I need to invest some money in getting the ingredients for this dish, right? I've got, I've moved fully into the food metaphor now. It's going to, I'm going to have to spend some money to buy the ingredients for this dish, right? So it, I, it is going to cost me a little bit at first because I, and because people aren't going to know about this dish. It doesn't have the same popularity as my old dish right away, but I know given what I've seen happen for my other dish, that if I spend some money now, I will make that up in the future in spades because of how much revenue I'm making from my other dish. So why would you not want that? Why would you not support that? Right? I don't, I really don't understand it. And that's the, it's the same reason that, and as well, there's people aren't even taking into account cost of living expenses and things like that. Like, you know, it's like a self-defeating prophecy as well. They say, well, the women's game will never be as good as the men's game. Well, you know, how are they even supposed to attempt to do that when they're paid a fraction? They can't even do it full time in a lot of cases, right? How can they ever hope to approach that skill level when men can dedicate their for their full-time job to being a rugby player or being a sports player and, and women can't do that? So for me, there is no angle that you can look at, at it where it doesn't make sense to invest in women's sport because it's clearly a growth market, right? It's got the biggest, it's got the high, the rugby Australia AGM came out, it, it had the highest growth percentage of any, any market in, in rugby in Australia, right? In all sports, it's increasing basically worldwide, you know, especially football, you know, soccer, yeah. rugby league as well is getting bigger with the women's game as well. And it's, that's a very entertaining product. The rugby women's NRLW from our previous rugby league podcast, people know how much I was a fan of that game. So for me, I have not yet seen a cognizant argument about why you shouldn't invest in women's sport. I'm saying, you know, 
I guess you can't exactly buy stocks on stocks in it, but it's like if I, if if I if you could, and if I was some kind of investment advisor, I would say buy stocks in women's sport because it is clearly a growth market. Get on the bandwagon now, start supporting it because it's only good for the sport. There's nothing negative about supporting the women's game unless you're a misogynistic pig. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more with what you just said, and especially we've seen it recently in recent times. The international women's rugby game is so strong at the moment. Mm. We saw the Women's Rugby World Cup in New Zealand, which had 50,000. Then over in France versus England, you had them break the record for the biggest crowd, which was like 54,000. The the domestic super rugby women's competition obviously needs some work, and Mm. I imagine they'll be working pretty hard to get that up to where it can be, but we always know with rugby, and rugby union specifically, the big name of the game is international rugby. So yeah. I think, especially international women rugby, I love the idea of this women's XV, the WXV, that's coming out, that's going to be this big women's competition. Um, more women's international rugby, the better for the game. Uh, one thing I want to uh, drop in here at the end, I didn't put it on the run sheet, but I've just remembered it now. Um it is that the Rugby League World Cup, France is pulled out as the host of the 2025 Rugby League World Cup. So there's a chance that Australia could host the 2025 World Cup. Um, but there's also a chance New Zealand could host it. Qatar's throwing their name in the ring. But I just wanted to throw to you about what do you think, if any impact it would have, if Australia hosted the Rugby League World Cup two years before it hosted the Rugby World Cup? Do you think it takes away from the shine at all? It doesn't. The Rugby League World Cup is. Uh, uh, I don't. I definitely. I don't think it does. I think that what you get from international travellers and tourists coming in for a Rugby World Cup is such a different level to what you get for a Rugby League World Cup. It'll be big for you Australians hosting it. Those. I don't think uh, there's a p- more passionate group of fans than whenever you get an Australian passionate yeah. group of fans. So like the AFL, it's nutty when you see Rugby League talk about Rugby League, they're nutty. So. Uh, it would t- it would take a little impact on it, I think, just with the home market. But I, th- I just think the Rugby Union World Cup is just such a bigger competition. Like, it just, the comparison there is just not even close. Same with, I I, I don't think New Zealand could solely host the Rugby League World Cup. Yeah. Um, I so. think it's, it's actually would be a positive for the Rugby Union World Cup if the Rugby League World Cup came to show. Because that is one thing Rugby League could put over their heads is like, oh, well, the next World Cup is going to be in France. So don't you want to travel to France if you picked as part of the Australia squad? Now it's a bit like, well, shit, it's just going to be here in Australia. It's going to be the same stadiums you always play in. You may as well go to Union where they pay me more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting, there's a lot going on in both sports. I think, yeah, yeah the international game of rugby union is just the gold standard. So, And we haven't even talked about the possibility of um, Sue Ali'i uh, being able to play Coming for the Waratahs in Australia this year. Like, there's, there's rumblings about that. Oh, it's getting a bit late for that. But, you know. A lot happening. A lot happening in yeah. the rugby union world. We will make sure we keep you up to date every week on that rugby podcast. Make sure if you're listening on Spotify and iTunes, you just keep up with us. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe and like button. Support us. We'll be here year-round, coming up to a Rugby World Cup year. Rugby Championship dates have been announced. Uh, the lovely MCG hosting the All Blacks versus Wallabies. And then the counter game to that is in Dunedin, where the All Blacks don't have the greatest record of all time. So, let us know right there for the taking for you, young man. Um, 
Fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, there was it's already it was twenty five thousand tickets sold on the first day at the, the MCG. MCG. So, it's going to be it's going to be a sellout. I don't doubt. Yeah. I've looked into actually going flying down there for it. I think it's just such a. I think it's going to be an epic, epic game. Yeah. Uh, if it even gets close to a sellout, I'll probably be on my way down. Excellent. Fun times. There we go. We'll keep you up to date. Three more weeks of Super Rugby, and then we're into finals time. A lot more to make of that. For now, thank you for joining us on that rugby podcast. We will see you next time. I've been Luke. That's been Husey. Goodbye. Peace.